Over the last several months, my guests and I have been doing deep dive videos covering the explosion of humanoid bots and bots with brains. Scott Walter is back with us again, this time going into more depth about the business model for Tesla's Optimus humanoid robot. He'll be sharing his calculations for the value of the bots and comparing the cost of the bots to total cost of labor. What happens if the bot can do one shift, two shifts, or what happens if it's three shifts? He'll review what he calls the Scott bot model, saved costs of Tesla bot transition. Scott has co-founded two robotic companies in the past and has been studying the new bots coming to the market. Thank you very much, Scott. Really, really appreciate you coming on again and doing more and more of these deep dives with me. Thank you. Thank you, Herbert. It's, it's nice to be back. I love these bot videos that we've been doing. They're doing very, very well. We're basically getting a good sized group of audience that are very interested in this. And as we know, there's just an explosion and it's coming and it's here. Oh, it um, and it's just going to become even more exciting as the weeks and the months go by. And so you basically put together a bot model trying to understand how would actually companies buy the Tesla bot? Why would they buy it? What would the cost be? Would it be one shift, two shifts? How many humans would it could it replace i just interviewed cern basher um and he's a financial analyst and he did amazing he's got many different models and he also did a bot model which is very very shocking in terms of the impact of the market cap for for tesla and then he he and you worked together to put together this bot model so i saw that you tweeted this out and i'll just sort of set the stage here that you shared your new Scott model because CERN had his uh, CERN model. Yeah. CERN model. <laughs> it's, it's just for fun. You guys are having fun with using your names as the uh, as the kind of name for this. A save costs of Tesla bot transition, and he helped you with these charts and your conversation. So let me walk you through some of the things you said that are very shocking or very interesting that we need to think about. So you said, okay, if it's a one shift scenario. And really, it's really going to be just competing, you think, at the very beginning with the minimum wage jobs that Optimus can mm -hmm. compete with. And that's that's the first assumption. But when you're performing two or three shifts, it becomes really cost effective at that point. That's the the yes. uh, the, in, the interesting value prop that these Optimus can do versus a human. So it says here, uh, Optimus is instantly competitive to the higher tiered salaries, assuming that Optimus is capable to perform those tasks which is not likely at first. So I, I will ask you this later, the end of the kind of the ending of this kind of closer to the end here of how could and what is Optimus must have skills to do to do the higher tiered salaries. Uh, but this is the interesting one. So you say that you're assuming a one-to-one -one swap, okay? One Optimus for one human per task. Early on, maybe two Optimus per human, depending on performance. Longer term, it could actually be, could flip to one Optimus for one, oh, sorry. Yeah, to two Optimus per human. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, sorry, I'm getting confused here. The flip to one Optimus for 1.5 to two humans. So yeah, explain to me what's going on here. Okay. So uh, at first, we're not sure that Optimus is going to be as fast as a human. And a lot of times when you set right. up a workstation, you're trying to get the, the maximum utilization out of, out of your worker. So they're, they're not idle. And if you remember, again, that Shanghai video where we can see the operator is responsible for two stations, just kind of bouncing back between the two. That's an example of a task that can be handled by one person. But if the bot's really slow, then you might have to have two bots there. The thing is, you don't have to pay both bots the same salary that you are the human. Um, and so it might be that 
you need two bots to replace one human. But eventually it might get to the stage that you could have set up those stations that that operator could be responsible for three stations, but that's pushing them to the limit to 100%. And if you've got a bot that's able to go, let's say 110, 120% of what a human is able to do, suddenly the bot's doing three stations. So that means, okay, there is as good as one and a half humans. And then if they go maybe even a little bit faster, then maybe they're able to replace two. And so at first, we don't expect the bots going to have that much dexterity and be able to do, let's say, very intricate kind of things, such as, you know, putting some of the cabling in where you have to crawl in the car and stuff like that. And those are typically the higher wage ones versus operator just loading the sheet metal, which is a really kind of very basic entry level kind of position. So that means those workers will be able to compete with Optimus and they won't necessarily be displaced unless Optimus is able to have a slight edge. And those that are a little bit higher up may not have to worry at first until Optimus builds that skill set that allows it to go in there. And so that's why we're looking at it is that at first, if it's a one-to-one -one swap out, then Optimus um, is going to be kind of break even. But when you go to two shifts, so remember, you know, you're trying to run that operation, not just for eight hours, but maybe for 16 hours or 24 hours. Or if you look at like on weekends and stuff like that, you can say there's a three shift model in there. Suddenly it's like that one optimist is able to replace three workers or the salaries of three workers. And then it becomes very competitive very quickly. And then you can see even those lower tier jobs are kind of like, we don't need them anymore. You know, we, we, we're going to have to preserve those workers that maybe have the higher skill because the bot's not able to do it. And then longer term, it can get even scarier because if you look at overall headcount, you could reduce the headcount significantly and not necessarily in a ratio of one to one. It could be in the extreme, like one to six. So, you know, just imagine you've got 6,000 workers and suddenly you replace them, but you don't need 6,000 optimists. You might be able to do it with 1,000 optimists. So, so this is a factor that I think everyone needs to, to kind of bring into account when you look at it. And again, yeah. the, you know, looking back at the model, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer, so I, I look at the things from uh, the capability and, and doing you know, some basic cost models to get an idea of what the expense is and not necessarily looking at what is the business case for it. That's for people who are more business oriented doing it, but you know, get a spreadsheet, you know, a little bit about math, you can go ahead and do that. So I came up with some original numbers that we shared previously on, on a, a couple other episodes, but I knew it's like, I, I really want someone to take a look at it that knows a little bit more about finances and everything else. And it turns out CERN lives only about half hour, 45 minutes from me. So okay. we've been talking back and forth and he's always having fun with the acronyms. So he's got the CERN model and the bots model and the fumes model. And I'll take credit for the fumes because he was thinking of gassed or something like that. And I said, fumes, try that one. And then he was able to work out the acronym. We're still working on Herb or Herbert, don't worry. So uh, <laughs> we're not sure. So it's, but don't forget, I, I've got the, the herbs and spices one already I figured out for one. you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so he is able to go in because he knows a lot more. So I had like some very simple wage structures and, and assumed what the FICA and everything else was. And he really broke it down to like, this is yeah. what you actually would be paying all the different employees to get an idea of what the costs are. And then he started folding in some other potential assumptions. So if you remember at first, my model was like not an exterior model to Tesla. It was like cost saved within right. Tesla. Yeah. And we know right. eventually that the bots are going to go outside and then when Tesla starts doing that, what's the revenue is coming in there? And that's like a model I didn't really want to touch yet. And he's like, well, that could be years away. And I'm really looking at 
what is the short-term benefit of Optimus to Tesla in the business case and in, in, in margins in the end. Um, but CERN was sort of confident to take a little bit further. And there's all this discussion, is he going to sell Optimus? Are you going to lease it? Elon has said, you know, $20,000, but that's more of like eventually $20,000. Um, and, but at first it would be, I, I always said, you know, fiduciary irresponsibility or malpractice if you lease it out for like, you know, ten or $20,000 a year when people would be willing to spend like fifty, sixty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000. And so, you know, our guesstimate is that it'll be leased at first when it goes out between fifty dollars and $60,000. And there's a lot of reasons why you would go for leasing models for the sales model. I mean, just have better control and everything else and making sure the robot's not abused and some of the applications that you might find unsavory, you're able to control that. Uh, and plus, you know, it becomes, a, you know, as a service model, which means you've got continual revenue coming on in. Um, so we looked at that and then put in other assumptions that, oh, there's going to be taxation, there's going to be maintenance, there's going to be everything else. So it's very, very conservative what the costs are. And I think in the end, um, CERN would say the numbers are nutty. <laughs> so the, the interview he had with you was absolutely great. That was one of the, the few interviews um, that, you know, I listened from end to end at normal speed because it was really that good. Even though I, I had pretty good understanding what he was already talking about, it was worthwhile. And, and anyone who hasn't seen that interview definitely should because that kind of gives you an idea of where we're coming from when we look at this particular model for the bots. And so right now we're kind of talking a few numbers here. I'm waving my hands. Um, there are a couple of charts out there that might make a better impact to everyone to sort of see what we're really talking about when you compare Optimus to an actual worker. Hey there, thank you for joining me. If you can, please consider supporting this channel so I can keep it going. It's a lot of work arranging all these amazing interviews. One of the easiest ways is just to click that join button and become a member of the channel. Thank you very much. Let's get brighter. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I do think that this is uh, worthy that you guys have really started to give this some thought, right? So with the first point that you made was that at the beginning, when Optimus is just rolled out, it may not be very fast. It's going to be very, very slow. So mm -hmm. yours, that's now I understand what you were saying, which is it might actually do half the work of a human because it's much slower in moving. And so it really is that, but eventually it could be so much faster. It can move faster, right? Um, and because it can work three shifts, it could replace six humans is what you've estimated. It could actually get potentially, that, potentially I mean, may, potentially. maybe even more. So I was like being conservative, like oh, up to six, if I say 10 or something crazy yeah. like that, but you know, you I never know. know. Right. Right. So that was the first thing you guys mentioned. And then the second thing you're talking about is, um, you know, the, 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 the idea that the very likelihood, if you sit down and think about this, Tesla's not going to sell bots. They're not going to sell bots to anybody. It's always, it's all going to be leased. Tesla will own the bot then they'll give you a monthly lease to be able to use the bot. They may or may not sell you tasks, skill sets that the bot's limited to be able to do. You might pay you extra for the monthly fee to train it, to be able to do special tasks that you need and want. But it's very likely that they'll lease it. I, that part, I, I, you know, it was fun to talk to CERN about that because he was saying, you know, Tesla does not want anybody to buy a thousand bots, create a bot army and attack yeah. some company or some whatever person, company, country, <laughs> yeah. and you can use it for, like you said earlier, untoward kind of activities, Un unsavory, yeah, unsavory, yeah. and they don't want that. So it makes sense. Okay. So based on those assumptions, and again, if you're an audience member, it's fun, sit down and think about this 
join us. And then your assumption might be different than ours, but at least we're starting the conversation. So those are very good points you brought up. Now, uh, the other um, uh, the other kind of like assumptions you guys were making. So first you said 60,000 annual lease rate. You that's, think that, 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 you know, that, that could be high. A lot of people have guessed maybe around 50, you know, um, but CERN just said, let's just go ahead and put 60 in there and see how that compares. Yeah. The other assumption is that there's probably going to be some sort of tax at some point. Okay, well, yeah, before we move on, I mean, if you're paying a bot, uh, the lease for the bot costs you 60000 Depend the the, 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 uh, the low-waged employee is over 60000 per year because if you add in yeah, their right benefits, hmm? what's mm -hmm. that? They're right around there, yeah, yeah, in the end, yeah. Okay, and then that's where it matters in terms of shifts. If you had one bot that could do three shifts instead of one employee doing one shift, it's a, you, you're now going to save one hundred twenty thousand dollars per year versus right instead of like costing you yes sixty you know, sixty yes, yes. yeah yes. and then yeah if you but you have to add in all of the you know benefits and uh, you know tools and whatever the overhead whatever. everything yep yeah okay now in terms of taxes this was another very interesting assumption um, that you and CERN brought up this idea that. You know, it's very unlikely or very highly likely that a government, a city, a state is going to tax uh, these bots because they are going to replace humans. And he was pretty generous with 33% tax rate on these uh, bots. What was your comment about taxes? Uh, yeah, we don't know. It's, it's really nebulous, but there already are similar taxes on equipment in many tax jurisdictions. Um, so you are required every year within your, your factory or an office to go through all the equipment you have in there, whether it be automation or printers or, or anything else, find out what it costs, you know, what the depreciation is, and you are taxed on it. It's like a property tax. So that already exists in a lot of tax jurisdictions, including on the industrial robots who be out there because they're a piece of capital equipment. Um, it may be a little bit different because now it's, it's going from mild to formal automation to kind of a form of labor and we tax labor a particular way and how would they do that? You know, it's not clear. Is they're going to go to an hourly model, a salaried model, because Optimus doesn't work for, for by hours, it works with a you know annual salary. But something's going to happen in there. We don't know if it's going to be a small tax of like 10% or a little bit more. So we just said make it like the same that they're doing on labor, which generally is around 33% especially when you include, you know, FICA and everything else in there. So we could be high, we could be low, um, but we just wanted to make sure it was sort of in these, in the model in some way, and that you just go to the spreadsheet and you change it if you think there's something that's going to, know, it's going to be 45%. But I have a feeling it's not going to be too high because uh, then companies, or let's let's say tax jurisdictions are going to compete for business. They're going to say, wait, 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 bring your factory over here. We're only 20%, you know, we're <laughs> not 40% like those guys over there. So that means it cannot get completely nutty, but at the same time, um, there is going to be something. There, there, there has to be something. And we just don't know what it's going to be as workers start to get displaced. Yeah, it actually makes a ton of sense. And I'm so happy that he added taxes. Even with the taxes, uh, Tesla still, the business model is still nutty. It's crazy right. how much money they're going to make. The amount of money that the state itself is going to make with the taxes is also crazy nutty. And so they are motivated to actually go this path. And then this hopefully creates some sort of, um, you know, tax, uh, cash cushion money yes. that the government yes. can use to support the displaced workers. 
it's part of the parcel. If you're going to roll up bots, hey, there's going to be, you know, riots in the streets if they if right. everybody lost their jobs or right. you know, a certain class of people lose their jobs. So I love right. that he did that. Um, so I'm glad that you guys really thought this through. Now, the other thing that we need to talk about is you do have a line item for Optimus benefits and overhead. So, uh, of course, everybody knows the benefits and overheads for humans. But yeah, bots also have charging and maintenance stations. They have these protective equipment and probably accessories that the bot needs to have. But this other part here you said is that these there's going to be bot minders. So these are people, mm -hmm. humans, that need to control and manage these bots. And so that's the nice thing about what you've done, um, Scott, is I, you know, in the past conversations, you you have always, you know, for every five bots, there should be one human. And yep. at first it might be one human to manage two or three bots and eventually one five bots and eventually one human for 10, just to manage them, right? Control them and something happens, you know, especially in the early years. So you've added that in into your uh, into your sessions. Yes. Um, yeah, any comments on that one as I set the, set the, uh, yeah, the next now, slides up? Now part of it, the, the reason we gave that, you know, we called it salary uh, taxes and then, you know, benefits and overhead is because we have kind of those same buckets for human labor. And in order to be able to kind of compare them, we said, well, let's just give it the same name for Optimus so you sort of understand what we were talking about these things. Obviously, Optimus doesn't get benefits, but Optimus does have other overhead and charges just like you would for normal human labor. And again, I mean, it's going to be some some things like um, protective equipment. There's going to be certain types of gloves Optimus is going to have to wear, certain kind of garments, depending on you know, if it's a clean room environment, you know, you're going to have to wear a white lab coat just like a, a human would. Or if you're doing painting or something like that, you want to be able to um, protect the bot a little bit. So there's going to be things like that. Now, the thing with the minders is that maybe it should be in there and maybe it shouldn't because to be fair, maybe we should be including the cost of the manager towards all the human labor because that manager is kind of out there. And in the end, maybe it's a one-to-one -one swap between the, the floor foreman and the minders. So it, it may be an absolute wash there, but we just said, let's not make that assumption because we're not sure what's going on. Now, there's going to be two types of minders. There's going to be the ones that are kind of part of the deal the 60k that comes from tesla to make sure the thing's up and running and doing everything all right and, and maybe doing some you know normal kind of maintenance that only tesla can do and then there's going to be the other human minders that make sure it's performing correctly during the, the operations and if there's an issue be able to make some corrective action and do maybe normal preventive maintenance you know make sure it gets charged by all those little things <laughs> so and now i think uh in the model uh cern called them shepherds but he spelled it with two p's you know it's like uh, there's a shepherd like that at the last name, but I think the shepherd he's talking about is with an H, which comes from a sheep herder. So that's, yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's what the I was laughing. Is. I'm laughing because I'm reminded of uh, Star Wars where you have generals and you have the different levels. Maybe you can have a, a bot supervisor and he's got like, yeah. he's yeah. got little so stars. I'm the smarter Grievous or something like that, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, eventually you may have managers which are like some other kind of bot, but you know, I'm thinking to yeah. begin with, they actually are going to be humans. And well, at the some question point, is, well, yeah. the question is like, okay, so you're in, in the normal workforce right now, we have managers to humans. Mm -hmm. and the question is, do you need more managers to bots or less managers? Because like I said, it could just be the same managers instead of managing humans. Now they're managing bots, but it's a question is like, you know, right, uh, right. I would assume that over time you have less managers needed for the bots because they won't make stupid mistakes. Yes. Once you trained them once, they figured it out. 
it's just going to over time be less and less need to manage something it, like this. Yeah, it's going to be like FSD. You, you need to have a driver there just in case. You know, it's going to okay. be like that for a while, and, and then gotcha. you have that transition. Okay. All right. Let's take a look at your um your 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 charts here. Tell me what we're looking at. This is for one shift. This is the Scott model for bots. <laughs> Tell me yes. what we're looking at. Okay, so if we look on the on the left side, we can see what it costs uh, uh, annual for um, minimum wage job. So uh, fifteen hours per hour, fifteen dollars per hour, and now that means the take home pay is around thirty one thousand. Well, the alleged take home pay, there's still taxes to pay on top of it, but then the blue bit is the additional taxes that the employer has to pay. And then the orange bit is like the, the typical overhead that you would have for this is employee. a human, a human paid human. 15 hours. So, okay. Yeah, so that means at minimum wage. Now, in Tesla and a lot of other factories, they don't start out at $15. It might be closer to $25 or something like that. But we just want to so let's okay. go really look at 15 hour job where maybe Optimus is able to come in. So you know, maybe it's in a restaurant or something like that. So you're looking at, I think, somewhere, if you add those things up, maybe $45,000 a year or something like that. So if you look at Optimus, now Optimus, you know, we're assuming 60,000 already. So yeah. Optimus is already more than the minimum wage job. And then there potentially could be taxes of 33%, which would be close to another 20,000. And then we just kind of said, well, benefits and overhead will just lump in like another 10. So okay. you'll see that Optimus doesn't quite compete in a one shift model. But it could compete if you decide, well, we're going to lease it for 40,000 or 30,000 or something like that. It's, it's really a business decision. And um, then if you start looking at like, um, you know, second, third or fourth tier kind of salaries, then you <laughs> begin to see that it starts to compete in the one shift model. But once you, you go to the two shift yeah. model, it immediately becomes um, become favorable to do something like that. Okay. So very interesting analysis because I think it was in the general assumption that most people made that, okay, bots are here, bots are going to replace the restaurant mm -hmm. worker immediately. That They would say that that's the first thing that they would do. But in your analysis, if you made your assumptions, it may not work out for the 15 hourly wage people unless unless yeah. it's multiple shifts. That's the critical yeah. distinction. And, and, it, and again, it will come down to how productive Optimus is compared to that $15 worker. Is Optimus actually able to replace two of them or one? And the other thing you have to remember is that um, yeah, Optimus will have some minders, but sometimes you have to have additional workers anyways to cover breaks and everything else. So, you know, one example I like to think of is that, you know, if you're running a supermarket that's 24-7, and let's say you have three checkout lines and it's very busy there 24-7. So people are always coming through. So you've always got to have three cashiers there. Well, the cashiers they have to take a break every now and then. So that means either the manager comes in and spells one of the cashiers or you have like a fourth one that just kind of rotates around to make sure they all have a break uh so so in some cases in order to man those you know three stations which in this case are, are cashier lines you might need an additional worker to be able to do that so that's something you've got to factor in a little bit uh and then you know yeah. to take that analogy a little bit further we can look at the u-scan you know it's like well we put that on over there and now we don't need those cashiers anymore, but we do need a human minder to make sure everything's going all right. Now, what's a little bit wrong in this case is, is that the human minder is there as a check on the humans to make sure they're checking out and using the bots, which are the scans, um, correctly. Whereas obviously in the factory, it's really the other way around. It's not, you're not checking on whether humans are doing it right, you're checking on whether the, the optimist is doing it right. So now suddenly you're able to reduce your headcount a little bit 
more that way. Um, so it may be that that $15 worker doesn't really cost you $15 for whatever the operation that you need. Because in the end of the day, that's what you're, you're not really thinking about how much labor you need. You're thinking about the things that have to get done in order to make sure everything works right. And then how much labor you need for that. So you don't just say, I'm going to hire three workers to see what they can do. It's like, no, I've got three operations. How many workers do I need for that? Right. But let's you know keep it fair one-to-one. -one. And then what ends up happening is that when you go to from the one ship to the two ship model, then do that suddenly, you know, do you want yeah, to speak so that's, first to the, yep, the sure. $30, the $50? What do you want to say there? Yeah. So you see, again, it's, it's very close to the $30. And once we start talking about the higher wage, like the 40 or $50, then, you know, Optimus makes sense immediately in one shift. Okay. And again, remember we're, we're assuming lots of costs for Optimus, which are probably um, maybe a bit higher than they should be. So you could in easily a, get it to compete with a $30 if, and if you really wanted the $15. In a factory like Tesla's auto factory, what is their wages? Um, I think the minimum is 25. And then it goes up from there. So, you know, easily you're competing not against $15, but closer to like $30. So it's possible that already yep. in Tesla's factory, as an example, these mm -hmm. factories, they're not being paid yeah. 15. The 15, like yeah. we said, is more like the retailers right. and Okay. Interesting. And, and, so and again, if we look at yeah. this, it's you know th this is the external model. This is what it would be like if we yeah. wanted to deploy it outside of Tesla within Tesla. Right. Yeah. They may have an internal lease rate, just to make sure the money kind of flows you know from one department to another to cover the cost there and for tax reasons and everything else. But they probably won't be charging sixty thousand you know internal lease rate. Maybe it's it's thirty or forty or something like that. Um, but, you know, at some point they, they want to have some numbers going around to be able to prove that, yes, Optimus is saving us money. It's not costing us a lot more money. We're able to do this internally and that that Optimus department over there is actually making a profit. So it becomes an internal profit center. And, you know, that would be done with coming up with whatever the internal lease rates are going to be inside of, of Tesla as they start deploying. Okay. Let's take a look at the two shift model. Yes. So the two shift, you see the Optimus on the right side gets a little bit shorter because the numbers for them are going up. So now that the $15 uh, per hour minimum wage is suddenly getting very close to $100,000 a year. So right away, it makes sense that when you have two shifts, uh, you're gonna to wanna to lease Optimus. So if, if you're you know five days, eight hours a week, then you'll probably still do it you know, the normal way. Eight hours way. a day. Yeah. But once so, you start to go to a two shift model, yeah, right away. This this eight hour a day shift is quite common, and um, we just heard from the Walter Isaacson book that uh, he mentioned that uh, there was a comment there that these Tesla bots can be charged for sixteen hours, can work for sixteen hours before it needs to be charged. So That's it amazing. could very easily be doing two shifts. And why wouldn't it be doing two shifts? And then therefore you can have one Optimus replace two people. Uh, and all of a sudden it's already, like you said here, it's already equal. Yeah. Yep. And any other thing is that if you need to charge Optimus uh, during the day, it would be very quick. You know, so you, mm -hmm. you might have breaks anyways that because there are still people that are there and that the Optimus can't work because it's still dependent on the humans doing something. And you would be able to like in 15 minutes, give it what it needs to have to make it to yeah. the end of the day or do the full uh, charge. The other thing is, is a lot of people have asked about, well, shouldn't Optimus have like a swappable battery pack and everything else? And it's like, well, you don't want to do that because, you know, 
that means more mechanics, more costs, everything else can kind of fail. It's, it's, you know, everything is just kind of bundled in. It's a structural torso. And Optimus is the swappable battery pack. That's the whole <laughs> idea. So kind of going back to what I said is like, you know, you've got three lines with the cashiers and you get a fourth one in reserve. You would probably do the same thing if for some reason you need to keep on charging all your Optimus. But the ratio might be, I've worked it out before, closer to eight or nine to one. So if you have eight Optimus, wow. you get a ninth one in there. And they just yeah. keep on spelling them, you know, it's like, hey, you know, taps the other one's like, go get charged, you know. <laughs> and when it comes back, it taps the next one of the children, yeah, your turn, go get charged. And so that's what you would do for swappability is, is they just go in there because they are a one-to-one -one replacement. Interesting. And you don't need to tap. They can talk, they can talk to you. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, they might just do it so the humans that are around are like understand what's going on. <laughs> I love you. You're so smart. You're so cool. Okay, I like the way you're doing. It. So that, that was a very good point that people do take half an hour sh uh, lunch breaks, fifteen yeah. minute breaks, and, and so this is beyond sixty. Yeah, this is beyond sixty hours. You might be run your factory without that. You know, without the fifteen minute morning break, without yeah. the the thirty minute lunch break. I mean, the factory will just keep running and running the whole time, and you won't yeah. have the fact that you know you just, when you stop things, you've got to kind of get it ramped up again, again and again. So you won't have that. So you might see that you're squeezing out more productivity by just running it nonstop. And, you know, the question is like, the lines might get tired. You might be, oh, I guess, you know, it needs to take a break, you know, it's overheating. Let's let it slow down and cool down a bit and go charge the Optimus while we make sure that everything on the production line is fine. Okay, so that's a 15. And then when you compare that to anything higher, like you said, 30, two shifts versus uh, one, Boy, it just yep. makes so much sense at this point to just uh, to replace yep. if it can do two shifts and it's very likely going to be able to do two shifts. That's what we just said. Yes. Yes. And um, yeah, very likely to do two shifts. And again, if you go to three shifts, then you maybe just have like an extra optimist or two to kind of fill in for the charging. Wow. And you will have enough time between them. So when you look at the three shift, yeah, it just it just dominates on the cost savings that are going to be there. And, you know, there, there's even a four shift model because three shift does not necessarily mean 24 seven. A lot of people would be thinking about a three shift is, is more of, um, you know, a seven day, 16 hours kind of thing. So you have like the weekends uh, that are going to be in there. So you could think of it sort of that way. And, uh, you know, when you have a four shift, that's like when you're just running the whole time, you know, 24 seven, everything else. And you've got the A, B, C and D shifts that are moving around. They're all working four days a week to try to fit that whole thing in. But if you, you think about it, you know, two, uh, two shifts is basically 80 hours. And then you throw another 40 hour shift in there. It's 120. Well, you still have 48 hours left over in the week uh, that you can put in there. So, you know, out of 160 hours. So, um, yeah, you could even run it at four shift and then it gets, as sermon say, even nuttier, but it's capping at three that's that's enough sometimes the factories need to rest and sometimes it's just you know that's too much supply there's probably not enough demand for whatever whatever, whatever it is you're producing well, okay so i do i i do need to just assume you're i i think you guys are making an assumption and i, I know you mm -hmm. guys are right because you you know this but i don't which is can a bot actually work straight you know three shifts oh that's, yeah it's good it's going to need maintenance but again if, if you go to four shifts like, yeah you still have a couple hours left over. You like if you continue to do the same movement for so long, continuously for many days, like 24 hours a day for, it's not going to wear down. It's not going to. Oh, it is. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're going to need preventive maintenance. And typically that's what they do. That's, um, you know, some of the odd shifts they have on the weekend are about preventive maintenance and that you go through everything, like all the machine tools and everything else you go in. And after so many hours, you go in and you check everything out, just like you do, did, you do with your car. You're going to do an oil change, check out the brakes, yeah. do everything else. And so that goes on in factories all the time. They, they know what those yeah. schedules are. The bot would need to do it. But again, if the bot is cheap enough, you just kind of swap one out while the other one's, you know, visiting or, the nurse and getting everything yeah. ready checked out. What's and, going on, you know, whether it's going to be charging or anything else. And again, you know, even with a four shift model, there's still an extra eight hours left for the week. And eight hours is more than enough time to do preventive maintenance on it. And so you would probably have a person that is always working. You know, if you've got a huge fleet of these bots, that's just always yeah. going through it. Now, that might be someone from Tesla. Because I remember the old days when you had like deck computers and stuff like that, that, you know, that we had in our university is that we had some systems guys that kind of ran it daily, you know, on a daily basis. But once a week, there was a guy that came from deck that came out and checked the disk drive, this and that, because he was sort of a qualified tech to be able to do that. And so you might sort of see the same thing is that you'll have the internal guys that will just kind of look at a few things, dust some things off, you know, go in there More and money for Tesla. Ships out or whatever. And then <laughs> Tesla comes in and it's going to check some of the fittings and stuff like that. Because I, I think uh, a lot of those things are are heavy duty and, and will last. There's, there's a few places where I've got my suspicions on how long you, you know, they before they start wearing out where they're going to see some issues. And I'm sure they are as well. And so they would be looking at that. And it may be there are these things that are just really easy to swap out. Just like, yeah, we, we know every three months you just got to pop these joints out and put a new one in there. But the motors and everything else will be fine. Okay. And just to remind folks, so first of all, you are a uh, robotics expert. You have co-founded two robot companies in the past, and these are the, uh, what do you call these? Industrial robots in the company, in, yeah. the, in factories. Robots, and yeah. and they're the ones that constantly move and just they're never stop style. moving. And so, yeah, you're yeah. already very familiar with how these kind of nonstop robotic yeah. movements, same move movement over and over again. <laughs> and they carry heavy payloads and everything else. And, but, you know, they're designed in many ways. They're, they're very, very beefy to be able to do that. And, you know, they do have these schedules to be done. But usually, you know, their um, in time between failures is, is like, you know, 40, 60,000 hours or something. I mean, they, they, they can go quite a long time. Okay. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty rugged and pretty durable. I mean, you, you'll have okay. some that, that are running for years and years and years without any real issues, just, you know, a little bit of preventive maintenance here and there. And then you'll have others. Okay. You always have a lemon, you know, it's like, whoop, something suddenly snaps and you got to go in and replace it. But, but a lot of them, yeah, the, um, they're very reliable and last years and years in pretty rugged conditions. I mean, there, there's some nasty situation. I mean, spot welding, um, it's rugged. I mean, you see some of those robots when they're done, and their arms are just blackened. You know, the paint job is just like, you know, from all those spot wells they've been doing for years. Same is gonna happen like arc welding and you have others that are, are uh, doing forging or tending or something like that in very hot environments. They last, paint yeah. robots too. I remember having to do a program for, for Chrysler a few years ago and I was shocked to see this was, uh, see like around 2008, 2009, somewhere like that. And they were talking about programming these paint robots that were installed in the 1980s. <laughs> I was shocked <laughs> that they were doing it. They still work. They're still everything. Like, there's no need to replace it. So, you know, normally they swap them out every every five years or something like that for the next platform because, you know, the whole capital outlay comes out for that. It's like, oh, this is a free tool, everything. But they have all paint shops. They are so finicky. 
it's you know and, the old adage if it ain't broke don't fix it no and it's still <laughs> going on yeah and then let's remind yeah. people what your estimate is to to for the cost of the bot itself to tesla for making the bot are you still saying ten thousand dollars or are you thinking higher yeah yeah it's it's you know it's they'll um in the early and it depends on how you look at in the early days when you really look at, at the cost of everything that's going in there yeah it's like probably less than ten thousand dollars cox right there you know there may there's obviously all the design overhead a lot of other things and some other stuff that might kind of come in there but yeah the bill of materials and throw one is probably under ten thousand and one be, of the you know it, it's going to come down to the um uh the motors the, the the actuators and how much those are going to cost and how good that line is when they kind of get it up and figure it out but yeah i'm sure it is and elon was very confident uh, he he said that you know under 20 when someone asked him you know less than a less than a car you know probably under 20. And of course, he's not talking day one, but eventually you'd be able to do it. It would be affordable. So yeah, they they have, and they keep on stressing every time. I've gone over, you know, the video again. Every time I look at it, it's like seeing it for the first time. And they just hammer home the whole idea that it's being designed for manufacturability. That we're only putting in exactly what we need because we don't want to make it more complex than it needs to be. We want to make sure we keep the cost down and we, it's scalable and everything else. They keep on saying that again and again and again. So it's designed to be low cost. Yeah. And then obviously one of the biggest um, value proposition that Tesla has, the competitive differentiator is, is scale. If you mm -hmm. can make 100,000 bots, all of a sudden the cost per bot is going to go down. If you're buying yep. those parts at scale, you're manufacturing so many of them, you can just basically reduce that price. And so that's where the race is really against competitors is yes, they can yes. make a hundred bots, a thousand bots, but it's going to cost them, you know, three times more than Tesla can because they're making a hundred thousand bots. And so you can't catch up. They'll just keep going a million bots versus your, when you finally get your hundred thousand uh, factory going. So, okay, let's, uh, let's take a look at your spreadsheet here. So let's take a look at the actual numbers. And so this was you, what you originally started with. Right. Did you that, want that's to That's my original spreadsheet yeah. made by an engineer. Uh, <laughs> very simple assumptions along there, uh, you know, different wage structures there with you know, what I was finding out would be the normal FICA and the overhead. And, and we sort of shown that before. And in this one was trying to see what the potential cost savings could be to Tesla overall looking at like the number of bot minders you need to have and you know how many bots you need to do so in, in this one it was like for each human operation you might need two bots because they're really slow <laughs> and right. that maybe for every five bots you need to have um, a human operator that's being paid at 50 dollars and everything else and so looking at those and, and the number of stations you might have within the tesla factory and everything else we were looking at the cost saving you know could with very conservative numbers there be in the order of like a hundred million dollars mm -hmm. or 88 million right there. So um, that's the potential savings that you would have within one factory. And of course it could be a lot higher when the, the bots are more efficient and everything else. And if they're re replacing more high wage uh, jobs that are in there, but that's a substantial amount of money that can help pay the Optimus project itself right there. So at least mm -hmm. you break even on that. And when it okay. improves and everything like that, you can easily show those savings to be in the hundreds of millions of dollars per year. Mm -hmm. So that's just what it would be to within Tesla and how it affects the margins. But the thing is, there's only so much money you can save in Tesla. I mean, is that you know they, they've only got so many jobs right right now. They don't have an unlimited number, so you can come up with really impressive numbers. And you know maybe you can eventually get to oh Tesla can save a billion dollars internally, so you can save that. However. 
you can always make unlimited amounts of money. Saving unlimited amounts of money is very difficult because you've only got so many costs. So when you start looking externally, which is something that CERN has definitely done, um, you begin. that's when you see those real nutty numbers that you get in the hundreds of billions and sometimes trillions of dollars uh, coming in because there's so many other companies out there uh, in which, in effect, you are saving them money. So their savings is, would then be coming to them. Now, I gave that, uh, that model to, to CERN, and he uh, then knew how to clean mine up and make things, um, you know, put in uh, better cost structures and understanding, you know, the, the FICA and some of the other payroll taxes a little bit better because mine was maybe a bit simplistic. So he's used to using those numbers. And like I said, he spelled shepherds a little bit wrong there, but that's okay. So he calls them shepherds, I call them minders. Uh, and it, this model is a bit more sophisticated. And from it, he was then able to generate uh, those, uh, those graphs that you saw. And as, if you looked at those graphs, they would have looked very familiar because you, you've seen the CERN model and the BOTS model and the Humes model. Uh, he sort of has the, the same kind of backgrounds and he likes setting up for that. So um, uh, yeah, so that's his spreadsheet just to sort of show an idea of how he took it from being a rather simplistic model to one with a lot more assumptions built in. You know, and the assumptions were, again, you know, how many humans to how many bots, you know, how what was a group going to be like? And um, yeah, that's that's kind of the explanation on that to, to understand what's behind the model. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, we don't need to go through the detailed numbers, but it, it's what generated the graphs. And just to show that you actually, yes. you know, uh, you and CERN actually went and tried to calculate, like, even as yes. closely as possible as FICA and other benefits and so forth. But, uh, okay, very and interesting. The taxes, you know, how, how much are you gonna, is the bot going to pay taxes? So, so yeah. like, you just change all those numbers in there, and you can you can change the yeah. assumptions. And, and I think he articulated uh, in your interview that, there's going to be this adjustment that everyone's going to be sort of feeling, you know, what, what's going to be the right level to have the taxation to sort of replace the coffers of what are being lost and what's going to be acceptable. And, and we don't know where that is, but there's going to be some movement. And the other thing is, I think it, it's helpful to have this discussion early on before everyone sort of realizes, oh, we're going to have to tax these things. And they just kind of come up with something that isn't really well thought out. So I know there's probably some policymakers that are thinking out there, but again, the policymakers are kind of in an ivory tower and may not really be thinking things rationally. So it would be worth within the Tesla community to start this discussion. And so I've already had that with CERN, I've had it with you, I've had it also with Bradford. And, um, you know, hopefully we start working on that as a community to say that, yeah, we think this is probably what the models are going to be like or what they will be like. And that when the policymakers start coming around to that, and you know, we'd be able to show that this is probably a fair taxation model if you're going to go that route. And that's yeah. the other thing I like about the Tesla community is that when I needed help to be able to make the spreadsheet very good, I could reach out to someone like CERN. So it's like we've got this incredible brain trust when it comes down to being able to answer questions and everything. And that's that's one of the things I really love about this community. Right. Okay, so I mean, obviously, uh, CERN himself has created a bots model, and he's looked at it at a very, like, really, like a detailed level, but also very high level business model for Tesla, the business model for the taxation for the state, the city, the business model for uh, each of the customers. And then he came up with a bunch of assumptions. What you then did was really fine tune it a little bit more in terms of, you know, per shift. Uh, what would actually happen, how many, you know, what the assumptions are for human uh, minders, you call them. And then even just that fine tuning of what will happen at the very beginning. At the beginning, they'll be slower. Bots are slower. 
and you can only replace you'll need two bots to replace one human eventually they become really fast what skill level so tell me this a little bit of that uh what skill level are we thinking here like um just a little bit more detail about that like can it do you know it might be able to flip burger i guess you know but they they already have yeah, might, these might be robots that flip burgers but what yeah. level will it will it max out before you need a really it's gonna be like you know several years before it can have that brain or that skill um yeah i think that sort of the two tasks they look at is one you know when's it ready to fold your laundry because you know it turns out getting robots to fold fabric is pretty tricky or do something like sewing that's that's very complex but there are many other operations which are pretty straightforward. And of course, in a production line, things are designed to be very easy to do. And it appears uh, it was a rather interesting teardown of the Model Y that was looking at how it goes together. And it is so simple. It's like almost anyone can put it together. And it, and it was mentioned again and again. It's like, it's almost like it's designed to be built by a bot. So, you know, there are going to be fasteners that have to be put in, but the fasteners are easily accessible. Which is a good thing, anyways, because a lot of times in the cars, the fasteners are in such a position, it's very difficult to get to, even for a human operator. So they've already designed that. So it should be very simple to do a lot of those kinds of tasks. Um, you know, anything that requires maybe a lot of dexterity um, and, you know, caution some things, you know, it might be a little wild. You know, I'm not sure if, if I wanted to bring a drink to me right now, because it'll probably walk a little bit like that and spill the drink by the time it gets to the table. Um, but that's going to improve with, with time. And it's not something you're going to see in the home yet. I think it takes a while before you get there. But within a lot of manufacturing environments, it could be there. And again, you may end up seeing in some commercial applications where it's doing a lot of sort of the back room kind of things. Now, not, maybe not necessarily customer facing at first, but a lot of toting of things around, lifting things up and just bringing it here and there. Um, it should be able to do that. And again, it comes down to the hand design, how good it's able to manipulate different kinds of tools, and how good the the AI um, is as far as being able to teach a lot of these different tasks and for it to be able to infer and understand that. And I, that will probably come pretty quick. I mean, it's going to be, uh, they're not quite there. And then once they get to this particular point, it just takes off. And kind of as James Dalma refers to, is like you build that foundation and it seems like you're working on it forever and you're getting nowhere. And then suddenly almost overnight, it just is able to do incredible things. Okay, let's talk about these uh, hands then, because uh, this came out from Walter Isaacson's biography of Elon Musk. Yes. He had a couple photos here. So these are the robot hands. Do you want to explain this photo and then we'll go to the next one? Yeah, part of the reason I want to do it is that the first video we did together talking about Optimus, we had a, a little bit of a section there about the hands and where I pointed a bunch of things out and, and this sort of illustrates it that you know, from this in initial design that, you know, yeah, we, we, we were kind of right about those things. The first was like, you know, identical finger licks. And the reason they want to do that is they want to have common finger drive units. They, they want to keep the cost down. So yeah. the fingers are, are the same length. They reduce one of the knuckles. Uh, so you only have two in the finger as opposed to three, all identical drives that are able to fit in there, packaged really nicely, but you'll see the offset that's in there to give the illusion that it's kind of like a human hand where you know the middle finger is sticking out a little bit more than the others, but they're identical in that way. So again, keep the part costs down, down, simplify everything again, again, and make it very, very simple. And I think there's another image that maybe also show what are some of the potential benefits that are there. So again, the focus is part reduction. All right. So reduce the parts. We don't have different parts for each finger, all identical fingers. That improves assembly time because you're assembling the exact same thing. 
you know, the controller packaging basically is the same because it's in each one of those drives and the sensor packaging is also very simple. And it's designed to have an external glove for, you know, intrusion protection, gripping of surfaces and cladding. So the, um, you know, intrusion perfection, uh, you know, to make sure dust and, you know, any other things, chips, whatever might be in the environment doesn't get caught in the mechanism because you can see it's a very exposed mechanism. So you would need a glove for that. And again, you know, different kinds of gloves will help in gripping. And we've seen that in some of the videos that looked like they had some special, almost like thimbles on the, the end of uh, the fingers to be able to grab um, the hex nut that they were, were bringing up. And um, so you, you need that sometimes for certain applications to have the right kind of grip. And that's what we also threw in some of the overhead for Optimus is the fact that you may have some consumables like that. Depending upon the operation that you're doing, you have to make sure Optimus is properly fitted and gloves and gloves can be disposable after a while. And, you know, they may actually be. It may be that, you know, after a couple of shifts or something like that, they, they wear out or maybe they last a year. Who knows? Wow. Okay. So you and I have done so many videos. We have compared the top 10 robots that are out there. We've done deep dives on Fourier, Digit, Boston Dynamics. <laughs> we, we've even done bot videos just on one of those. And they look very impressive because they can mm -hmm. do so many things. Uh, what we noticed was you, you said you always look at three things when you look at a bot. Uh, one is the ability to walk, whether it has hands and its brain. And um, what we notice is that many of these companies don't have all three, and most of them sure. don't have the AI component. But what we also have noticed, the big difference between Tesla and anyone else is their focus on, on manufacturability. Because, you know, we, I don't know if people know this, but we pointed it out in one of our videos. The actual CEO of Boston Dynamics has basically said that their a uh, bot that they've showing off that should, Atlas that can do all these things. It's a demonstration bot. It's for R and D. It, it's not designed and built for mass scale or sell. They're not planning to sell this thing. Mm -hmm. And people think, oh, they're the big competitor. Can you not see what Boston Dynamics? The CEO himself has said we can't bring the cost down because we had not. We just wanted to show that it can do these things, um, not that we were planning to sell this thing. And so, if you're planning to sell this. Tesla is really focusing on the design such that it's reproducible and versus the other ones we saw, you know, like we pointed out one of the Chinese bots, for example, different hip sizes, different shoulder lengths, everything is all different because it's just doing something, but it's not designed for a million of them being produced right. and having the cost right. down. So that was why we showed you this. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, and I think you know, Elon has harped on that many times again when I listen to all these things, he keeps on talking about it. And he brought it up in Investor Day, uh, you know, first, that, you know, leveraging the fact that they have the, the AI computer that they will be able to, to do the, the, the training for the bot. But he came back and says, you know, primarily we're a manufacturing company. We know how to build things. So right from the beginning of the design process, we're thinking, you know, how are we going to build this? How can we build this at scale and everything else? He kept on saying, this is the advantage we have over everyone else is that we will be able to produce these, you know, faster cheaper and you know much greater numbers than anyone else and again the ceo of boston dynamics admitted that you know they weren't thinking about how to make it easy to manufacture you know that's kind of coming in now and they know nothing really about manufacturing they're beginning to learn right now so you know the first thing is that they didn't design it for manufacturing second they don't really know how to manufacture and that's all the skill set they're trying to bring in to be able to do it and i think eventually that they will get there but that's the advantage that Tesla had is like, we already know how to build things. They already able to build a lot of the parts that are in there, like the motor drives, which are unique. Again, something Elon says again and again and again, is that 
they could not find any off-the-shelf actuators that would work for what they needed. And part of it, and again, when I looked at it, is they were looking at two things on the off-the-shelf actuators. One is the capability, making sure you have the right thing, and also the cost. They were very sensitive on what the cost of those actuators are. So internally, they already know how much it's going to cost them to be able to produce these things compared to trying to buy anything even close to that in the market. And there seems to be a big difference. And then there's the performance capability. And I'm sure they're looking at two things in performance capability. One is that you know, it's able to deliver you know, the, the, the torque and the speeds that they need when they need them, and it's durable. That it's going to last for you know, not thousands or hundreds of thousands, but millions of cycles. And they already know how to do that because you know, the Model 3 motors are able to go a million miles. And I think there have already been some of the data and the Model S and everything else. So those motors are capable and the, the actuators in Optimus will not be under quite as severely a stressed environment as it is like driving a car. They may be operating longer, but you know they're not going to be doing jackrabbit starts all the time and everything else that people like to do with it. So that is a huge advantage that they have. And again, after you know, I looked at some of the other bots that were out there that were very interesting in seeing the what I call the Opticans, the, the Optimus uh, mannequins that are starting to show up in some of the, the showrooms. And looking at it in person, uh, really impressed upon me. It's like, ah, oh, you have the elegance of the solution. I mean, I'd already seen kind of from a distance and you know, looking at the pictures and the videos of what they were doing and the understanding. But you know, huge appreciation when I begin to look at it. That's like, ah, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's. I see why they're doing it. I see why that's that's a really good solution, and why going forward the robots probably going to have maybe more capabilities than we really think it has right now or would be capable of. And it's it's a pretty good path for them to evolve on. And finally, you know, Elon has said that you know, oh, it's the first generation, and if we come up with some better ideas, we're going to jump right on them right away. And he knows that the hand model is is not the best hand model; that it's going to improve over time. When you talk about swappable hands, depending on what you want to do, but they want to make sure they get something out there that you don't sit there and try to design the perfect hand because if you do that, you'll never get anywhere. So you you come up with something that's good. And then you get data from it. And then from what you learn, you find out how can we improve the next round, the next round. So there are better robotic hands out there, but they're very costly. Uh, and their whole idea is like, and they're difficult to manufacture. So we want manufacturability. And that's what that, that image from Walter Isaacson's book is about. It's like, okay, how do we build hands that are very easy to put together that are inexpensive? So that is not the costly part of Optimus. The motor drives are not going to be the costly part of Optimus because Tesla knows how to build those things. It's built to be assembled very easily. I mean, if, if these parts just kind of showed up in a box for Christmas, the kids would know how to put it together. <laughs> um, so it's September right now, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm very excited for November. Do you remember what Elon said yeah. about what's going to happen in November? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, he, so the, the, the first Tesla bot uh, with the Tesla-designed actuators which kind of threw me off when he said that because I thought the ones that are out there were the, the Tesla's on and I think he means the, the ones that are actually coming out the production line. So these are going to be the real McCoy that, that are going in there. And they might be a little bit different. Who knows? You know, they may have learned a lot from it and what they want to improve. Because I already can see all sorts of things they can change because some of those motors are kind of like a jack of all trades, you know, kind of master of none and that they're designed to be in so many different places. They, they have an additional bits and bobs that are kind of sticking out on the uh, on the flanges where everything is that you seem like you would want to remove and get out of there but when you're kind of 
prototyping really quickly, like, ah, don't worry about it. Because remember, design, you know, the design principles, you know, down at the bottom is optimized as last, you know, get all the other stuff going and making sure that's right. And then you worry about that. And that kind of shows up in the Optimus models that you see in the mall. You can kind of look at a few things. It's like, mm, why is that there? Why is that there? And, and it's like, this thing is here because it's needed somewhere else, but they got to put it in there just to make sure it's also in case that motor ends up over there as opposed to here. So it seems like there will be a lot of places that they can streamline the production, maybe bring costs down, but they're not going to worry about that for the first thousand or two thousand or ten thousand. Once they are ready to crank it up, they will streamline it. And that will make sense. And um, and yeah, is that the Optimus robots are in many Tesla showrooms, usually showrooms that are going to be associated with a mall, because I understand that if they have foot traffic of at least five thousand uh, per day passing by, then they get a, a Optimus bot to kind of put in the showroom to to attract people. And it's it's a three D printed model from you know the actual CAD that's been assembled that is dimensionally correct, and. Uh, I hope to do a couple of events at a couple of showrooms in you know, the coming weeks, uh, if anyone happens to be around there. Uh, we've got one coming up on the 24th in Orlando at the, the Mall of Florida that uh, we'll, we'll be doing something there. And if anyone who is a member of the Tesla Owners Club of Florida, you can look it up on the events page. And, and I look forward to seeing everyone there. And we'll just kind of take a look and see what it looks like um, and understand the mechanics of what's going on. and then. We just have to hope the brains are able to kind of follow up with uh, the mechanism. Okay. Yeah, what he said was by November, the Tesla design actuators should be ready by then, he's hoping. But once it is, what he then said was that then we might we'd be able to start scaling this in yes. larger numbers. And so what, yes. what really seemed to have happened is, they, they like you said, they delayed, they, they just wanted to sit back and spend several more months making sure that they designed things properly. But like you said earlier, it's designed for manufacturability. And so while we had assumed that there would be at least 500 or 1,000 by this by the end of this year, that's not the case. But yeah. what the other surprise for us was that, well, it's it went, by November, by the end of this year, it's going to be ready for scale. And then at that point, <laughs> they're going to start producing this in larger yes. numbers for next year. Yeah. So, you know, they're still working on, you know, hand maneuvering, hand making handmade ones right now uh, but they seem to be almost ready i mean november is a fantastic date it's like what so. that's why they don't have a huge fleet so going back to when was it april i think he said that they have you know, about 10 you know but it sounded like you know maybe five or six are ever operating and the others are <laughs> having to fix something here and there but they've got enough parts for at least 10 and he said you know uh more each month so they you know they may have added another five to ten since that time you know, whatever more means is it one or two per month um but clearly they're, they're not trying to to ramp it up because it comes down to making motors and if you know you don't want to have you know bespoke made bespoke motors <laughs> it gets pretty tough so they, they want to scale it up with a production line to be able to do it and then they would start coming out a little bit faster and they may have looked at some of the other parts and already have that scaled up for the, the castings for the, the legs and the arms and everything else. But think about it, there's 40 actuators in there. So that's a lot of motors for one bot. So if you had to build those things sort of by hand, that's a lot. And, you know, just the hands themselves are six of these, these little things. So you need to come up with some sort of a production line for that. And of course, before you do the production line, you want to make sure you, you really do like the motors that you, you have, and you're not going to have to suddenly change the design 
which is then going to change your production process. But what I'm more excited about with that November is that if that hits, then that means I expect there's going to be AI day three around there somewhere. I mean, there's mm -hmm. no rumors of it yet, but my expectation is it would be around there and that maybe in October, we start to hear some rumblings that it's coming because they didn't want to get the cyber truck event on first. Oh, it's, it's, it's coming. Yeah. AID, yeah, AID yeah. three is guaranteed. It's We're talking about the largest, coming. largest supercomputer dojo. They just, um, mm -hmm. FSD version 12, which is just a revolution in neural yeah. nets. They're going to want to, you know, make a yeah. big deal. All the AI so, improvements they're making you know, so in it, the bots. It could be December or even January because you're right. Sure. I, I kind of forgot about that. They might be saying, oh, Optimus is really good, but you know, Dojo is this close. We want to have something with Dojo to really prove what it's doing. Because when we get that going, now Optimus is going to be doing somersaults. And, you know, FSD version 12 is just going to be phenomenal because they've got that. So I think you're right, is that you, you need to have sort of three things happen together. And when they're all ready, that's when they're going to be ready for it. Because they don't want to just announce things. It's not about Optimus. It's about the whole suite of everything. It's so you're, you're probably right there. Is that, you know, November, maybe Optimus will be ready. But maybe not, because maybe Optimus is going to be depending on Dojo. And if Dojo still needs to get to December before it's able to really start crunching the stuff, uh, then maybe that pushes it back. And then again, let's make sure version 12 is, you know, really able to do what we want. So okay. now one of them is the bottleneck. I don't know which. Thank you so much, Scott. That was fun. Um, you always yeah, bring so much, uh, you know, uh, expertise and knowledge. And it's been just a lot of fun going through every single one of these thoughts. And it is time. It is actually time for us to be, you know, talking about the shifts and the taxes and, yes. and the hands and all these things, because it's, it is coming. It's here. We were we like we just said at the beginning. There's an explosion of bots. Every time there's a new bot, uh, we get lucky because I get to show it to you, and we get to show it to the audience here, and we break it down and say, "What do they look yeah. like? What can they do?" We're going to be showing so many more videos of all these different bots. They're just coming. We are here. Yeah. Um, so yeah. thank you for doing that, Scott. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Herbert. Again, it's been a pleasure. Look forward to being back next week. We'll do it next week.